And happy Wednesday, and welcome to the deal. I'm your host, Ed Clark. It is Wednesday, the 24th of January, 2024. Now, uh, normally we're not here on Wednesday. Uh, I've been away uh, doing some stuff. Uh, but we thought it would be important to uh, talk to you this week uh, because uh, politics is really cranking up. And we had some uh, primaries uh, in Iowa. Uh, they had a caucus uh, last week and this week. Uh, there are some primaries and coming up some more primaries. So, uh, but before we get to that, Val Atkinson is here. Hey, Val. Hello, Ed. How are you? Yeah. So, so, so Val Atkinson, uh, you are a retired uh, professor of political science. Uh, so you are the most appropriate person to talk about this. Uh, we're going to start in New Hampshire. Uh, at the, I'm not I'm going to pass Iowa altogether. I'll say something about Iowa in a minute. But but since New Hampshire ha- happened last night, uh, Donald Trump won the New Hampshire primary. And I don't think that's a surprise to anybody, uh, even a, a learned a uh, retired political science professor could have predicted <laughs> that Donald Trump was going to win in New Hampshire. But that that aside, Val, what did we learn, if anything, from the outcome of the New Hampshire primary? Unfortunately, Ed, not very much. Not very much at all. You know, I was watching it almost uninterested. Uh, I was getting in touch with my nostalgia side of things because I visited uh, three places in New Hampshire. Uh, Portsmouth, New Hampshire has a military base there. And of course, I used to date a little girl in uh, Summersworth, New Hampshire. And uh, there's a place called uh, Laconia, uh, New Hampshire, that uh, has a ski lodge that uh, when I was in the military, our commander was an avid skier, used to have all of our regional uh, uh, meetings and conferences there. So I was in uh, Laconia, New Hampshire several times. So I I started thinking about that because the race itself, the primary between Donald Trump and Nikki Haley with all of the other people getting out of the race really was anticlimactic to me. Everybody already knew what the expectations were going, or which ones were going to be fulfilled. And the fact that uh, surprises were going to be nil. And we were just waiting for, for the news media uh, to make it all official that Donald Trump had won the New Hampshire primary. Uh, this surprises nobody, Ed, really. It really doesn't. Uh, if you're talking about a general election, you got my attention. Uh, if you're talking about a primary election where the winner hardly sets foot in the state, won't debate anybody, they have debates, and he's the only one that doesn't show up in some cases, and he wins it all. Uh, where, where do you go there with the story? It right. seems to me that there were people that called themselves members of the GOP, the grand old party, the Republicans, have already made up their mind. 
I, I don't think there's a story coming out of New Hampshire, and I'm sure you're going to tell us a little bit more about Iowa in, in a few minutes, but uh, this is a non-story primary that's coming up. Uh, Haley may make it a little more interesting, being that it's a two-person race that she wanted, and she just may, after Donald Trump has indicated that he doesn't want her as a vice president, and he begins to find nicknames for her and all of this other kind of stuff, that may be the thing that gives her uh, the authority, the willpower, you may say, to go after Trump as though he were a mortal being like the rest of us. Uh, and that may make it interesting. Mm -hmm. But right now, when you tell me that even if he's convicted, that you will still support, you will still support your, your opponent for president. And you also tell me that if he asks you to be vice president, you'll do so. And you also tell me that you will vote for him if you got a chance and you think he's not unfit regardless of what happened. Why are you running for president? Why are you running in the first? To that point, here's Tim Scott. Tim Scott! Oh, yeah. Let me see. Let me see. Is this Donald Trump country? Oh, yeah. Let's see. I can't hear you. I can't hear you. You know, we thank you. Let me say, we need a president who will close our southern border today. We need. Donald Trump! Your buddy from South yeah. Carolina. <laughs> so, Val, on stage, Tim Scott is up there pandering to the crowd there. He was one of the most ineffective presidential candidates ever. He had to hire a, a white woman to be his girlfriend for a while. Oh, I'm sorry. I guess I wasn't supposed to say that. But that's what he did. <laughs> uh, and, and, and Donald Trump never said anything good about him. And Tim Scott is up there on stage along with other people to your point, saying that they would support him regardless of all his transgressions, uh, how he's talking about all of them. And in addition to that, he's starting to make up names for Nikki Haley. So she's not going to be his vice president. Ron DeSantis isn't. He was still making fun of Ron DeSantis. Does Tim Scott, here's my question. Does Tim Scott think he's going to be Donald Trump's vice presidential running mate. I think he does. And even if he doesn't uh, be the mate, Ed, 
Tim Scott is so deeply wound into uh, Trumpism that he has no other place to go now. You know, uh, this whole business about whether he's black or whether he's some other color or Republican or, or human or whatever, uh, that's not the question anymore because he's so deeply involved in Trumpism, there are no options for him. If Trump were to pass away tomorrow morning, God forbid, I don't know if Tim Scott could get the nerve to keep on living. I mean, his whole being is wrapped up in Trumpism. He doesn't know anywhere to go. And uh, I want to see how things work. I hope it works fine because I am a believer and a devout believer in the institution of marriage. And, you know, he just got engaged, Mr. Scott. Uh, he proposed and had an engagement party. So this young lady, he uh, is is now engaged to, she's uh, is the mother of three. And uh, so he's got a ready-made family. And 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 I I wish him well, uh, but I, and I hope this is not to make him more palatable to Donald Trump as a running mate, because matrimony is nothing to play with. But uh, this guy has lost his way. I don't think he'll ever find it back. Ed, Karen Bass, and Cory Booker should have known that when they were talking about trying to find a solution to qualified immunity, and had no idea that they were talking to. Miss McCown with 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 the face of Tim Scott, uh, but really talking to Mitch McConnell. Uh, this guy, I really feel sorry for him. There's just no place for him to go. And before he passes on and leaves this life, if he if the fact is revealed to him that it is a reality that he is a black male in America. I, I think he'll lose it. it yeah. You just have to take him and put him in a sane asylum somewhere. <laughs> he, he, would not, he would not handle it well. Look, I want to remind you, you're either listening to or watching the deal with Ed Clark and Val Atkinson. And, and, and you know, I, I, I feel some kind of way when I, when I hear Tim Scott I, I, you know, you, you, you try to, I try to piece together, you know, what, what are we after here? Are we, are, are we after Tim Scott having some sort of revelation that he's being used like all the other black folks end up finding out or brown folks end up finding out uh, that the Republicans are, are using them or do we, or do, should we even care anymore? Uh, I, 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 I do care though for him, his soul, because well, he has sold his soul to the devil. And this whole notion, when I heard that he was engaged, I was like, the only reason why that would be a, a thing at all is to your point, is him trying to sell himself as being a palatable running mate. Imagine two black vice presidential candidates on the ballot and one of them's Tim Scott. And if he wasn't married, he couldn't be on there. Right. And then both both of the black VP candidates would be married to white people. Mm -hmm. So, you know, stick a fork in me. I, I, it's, it's, it's beyond me 
how how we get there. But Tim Scott is from South Carolina Vale. Here, here's the next thing. Let, let's just talk about South Carolina. The next place that uh, all the candidates, in this case the two, Nikki Haley and Donald Trump are going to show up is in South Carolina. Nikki Haley used to be the governor of South Carolina. And Nikki Haley did one decent thing as governor, but it took her a lot of prodding for it, it to happen, was take down the Confederate flag from the state house in South Carolina. But Val, here's Nikki Haley saying something about race, and then we'll talk about it. I want to ask you about a comment you made earlier this week. You said that America has, quote, never been a racist country, unquote. Protections for the institution of slavery were written into the U.S. Constitution. The White House was built with slave labor. Your home state of South Carolina seceded from the Union, fought a war to defend the enslavement of black people. Uh, I understand you don't think America is a racist country now, but we're here at a college. Do you really think as a, as a historical matter, America has never been a racist country? I mean, think about what you're First of all, I will tell you, when you look at, you know, the Declaration of Independence, it was that, you know, men are created equal with unalienable rights, right? That was what we all knew. But what I look at it as is I was a brown girl that grew up in a small rural town. We had plenty of racism that we had to deal with. But my parents never said we lived in a racist country. Back a bit, because I was a history major in New Hampshire. Um, you're talking about the ideals of America. But America was founded institutionally on many racist precepts, including slavery. But when you look at said all men are created equal, I think the intent, the intent was to do the right thing. Now, did they have to go fix it along the way? Yes, but I don't think the intent was ever that we were going to be a racist country. The intent was everybody was going to be created equally. And as we went through time, they fixed the things that were not all men are created equal. They made sure women became equal, too. All of these things happen over time. But I refuse to believe that the premise of when they formed our country was based on the fact that it was a racist country to start with. America's not a racist country. Now that we got that out of the way, I'm so glad. Again, you're the political science professor here. You're the expert. Val, did we not have slavery here? Did we not have uh, to have a Voting Rights Act multiple times to try to protect Black folks? Have we not had to have civil rights legislation to protect black and brown folks, uh, have we not had uh, uh, to do the KKK Act to prevent people from, you know, lynching and killing black folks? I mean, what is Nikki Haley talking about, Val? Well, according to Nikki Haley's warped mind, all of that happened several centuries ago, maybe even millennia ago. And it just doesn't count anymore because since she and her family has been here, everything has been hunky-dory. Everything's just fine. And you're talking about stuff of, of a bygone era when people really didn't like one another. And by the way, slavery was good for Black folks anyway, you know? We benefited <laughs> tremendously from, from, from enslavement. Uh, but, but the thing about it is with Nikki Haley, she remi reminds me of a lot of people who immigrate to this country and want to impress white folks so badly 
that they themselves can be viewed as white. Now, and I'm talking about people who are not from the main continent of Europe. They don't have blonde hair and blue eyes. They don't have very pale skin. They look like Nikki Haley or maybe even darker shades than Nikki Haley, but they are definitely not black. So they want to make sure that people know that they are not black. What's the best way to let people know that you're not black? Is to pronounce and embrace the attitudes of white people, especially white people who don't like black people or don't respect black people. And that's that's what that thing is with Nikki. She is about the business of making sure that she doesn't get confused with somebody like Kamala Harris, okay? Somebody who could actually say, I'm not black, <laughs> you know? Or Barack Obama, I'm not totally black. I'm not black African-American. I'm really something else or uh, Kavlin Asia like Tiger Woods, <laughs> whatever, you know? And she's taking it too far and she doesn't know how to climb back down that ladder. Okay. She knows that race is a very important part of the Republican construct. She knows where which side her bread needs to be buttered on. She has to take these sorts of positions or she has to leave the party. Nobody should be surprised by that. I can just sit here and wrap off four, five, six, seven other issues. And I can tell you what position she will take on that before you even ask her about it. Mm -hmm. yeah. Each one, because yeah. it's the issue that she has to take to continue to get the support of white people who support Donald Trump. Well, you know what? I hear some music in my ear and I do want to talk about uh, white voters, not not just white voters, white people in, in particular and what they're feeling and how it's having an impact on the whole entire country. I heard some people that they were interviewing in the uh, postmortem from New Hampshire and, and it was clear to me that their rationale for voting for Donald Trump had to do with his nonsense about uh, immigrants taking over and and how the, 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 the economy is the worst that it's ever been and all that other stuff and that the election was stolen from him, blah, blah, blah. Uh, there are people out there who still are spotting that stuff and, and we have to be cognizant of that. So stay right there. We'll be right back and we're going to talk about a whole lot more. We'll be back in just a minute. Having diabetes means there's a lot you need to keep track of. Eating healthy, limiting sugary drinks, getting plenty of physical activity, checking your blood sugar throughout the day, and taking your medication. Oh, and balancing all of your other responsibilities too. Thankfully, there's help. Diabetes Self-Management Education and Support, or DSMES, can help you learn strategies to manage your diabetes so you can live a healthier life. DSMES services include a diabetes care and education specialist who works with you to develop a management plan that fits your lifestyle and cultural traditions. When you first find out that you have diabetes, 
during yearly follow-up visits with your doctor or when not meeting treatment targets, when complicating factors develop, and when new situations or major life changes affect the way you take care of yourself. Managing blood sugar is key to living well with diabetes. Healthy eating, limiting sugary drinks, staying active, and finding solutions to address life challenges while living with diabetes are the best ways to manage blood sugar. In fact, when done regularly, those healthy habits can lead to a better mood, more energy, improved sleep, and help you keep a healthy weight. What's not to love about that? Medicare and most health insurance plans cover DSMES. Ask your doctor about working with a diabetes care and education specialist. Managing diabetes can be challenging, but DSMES can help. Visit cdc.gov diabetes DSMES for more information. With support and a good management plan, you can thrive with diabetes. By the way, they never report the crowd on January 6th. You know, Nikki Haley, Nikki Haley, Nikki Haley, you know, they, did you know they destroyed all of the information, all of the evidence, everything, deleted and destroyed all of it, all of it, because of lots of things. Like Nikki Haley is in charge of security. We offered her 10,000 people, soldiers, National Guard, so whatever they want, they turned it down. They don't want to talk about that. And welcome back to our second segment of the deal. I'm your host, Ed Clark. That's Val Atkinson. It's Wednesday, the 24th of January. We're not usually here on Wednesday. I've been out of town working on some stuff uh, back in D.C. and and Cincinnati and a lot of other different places. But uh, we felt like it was important that we needed to do an episode, uh, do a postmortem on the New Hampshire primary, try to get us caught up on what's going to happen in South Carolina. Uh, In the clip coming back in, you saw Donald Trump. Uh, uh, accusing Nikki Haley of doing nothing on January the 6th. And Nikki Haley doesn't have anything to do with January the 6th. I'm not trying to take up for Nikki Haley, but hell, she she she, she was, didn't have nothing to do with it. Uh, it. He also mentioned in that clip, Val, uh, about running against Barack Obama. Donald Trump has never run against Barack Obama. So let's start there. There has been this uh, song going on for the whole time that Joe Biden's been President Val, and also even before, because they they called him Sleepy Joe, and they said that he was hiding in his basement and didn't want to didn't want to confront Donald Trump. Now this time around, Donald Trump is the one that doesn't want to debate anybody. He's not show, he he never showed up at any Republican debate. He has these low energy rallies where he says stuff like Nikki Haley refused the 10,000 troops on January the 6th. Okay, so he, he, here's how I'm going to ask this question. What the hell? What is he talking about? <laughs> it, it, uh, is he is he doing this for effect, Val, or is is there something wrong with Donald Trump? I know you're not a doctor, but I'm going to ask you to play one here on TV. There is something missing uh in a cognitive way out of Donald Trump's uh, presence here. And it's called youth. And we all are missing that to some degree. But Donald Trump is 77 years old. That's not a very, very, very young man. He's only three years younger than the person who his party claims is too old for the job. 
And uh, it's been proven scientifically that in our later years, uh, when we have jobs and responsibilities that require the intake, the uh, the maintenance of uh, dealing with all sorts of detailed information and putting it in the right place and recalling it properly and that kind of thing, it really brings on a high level of confusion sometimes in older people. And people can call it... Uh, Alzheimer's onset. Uh, they can call it uh, a lot of things, but it has to do with age more than anything else. And the volume of information that you're being exposed to at any one time and what you're asked to do with that. That's what Donald Trump suffers from right now, but he won't tell anybody that. I'd like to see him take a real cognitive test with real test administrators and see how well he does on that. Uh, he's getting uh, Nikki Haley confused with Nancy Pelosi. He, as you mentioned, he never ran a, a campaign against Barack Obama. Not officially. He ran against him but while Barack Obama ran when, when McCain was the GOP nominee. Uh and uh, he may think he ran against him because he was trying to say that Barack Obama was not a citizen and was therefore not qualified to run for president. Uh, he's just confused, Ed. He's an old man who can't handle the volume of information. It's, it's like trying to drink tea out of a, a, a hose, a garden hose, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, or maybe even a fire hydrant. I mean, you can't, so at some point, it gets to the point, it's too much information, it's overload. And how? what position on the planet could be more overloading than president of the United States? So, and he was president for four years. And he, he didn't have the acumen to know how to put certain pieces of information in certain places because he knows absolutely nothing about anything other than marketing and real estate and sales and, you know, I got you because yeah. I know how to be a con man, right? Uh, yeah. Once you get away from that kind of stuff, Trump's not very sharp or intelligent or, or anything. He, he's yeah. just been, he's been using people and conning people all of his life. And now he gets to things like the presidency and you got to know a little bit about a lot of things. And it's too much for him right now. And it's, well, and it's telling. Yeah. So here's the second piece of that. Like I said, the Republicans, if you if you were to turn to Fox News at any given time during the day, uh, you're likely to hear some sort of you know story about how bad off you know Joe Biden is and how terrible everything is in the in the United States that, you know. Uh, but we look and gas prices are down. We look and the stock market is at the highest it's ever been. Uh, we we look at the economy as a whole, the interest rates are going back down on housing, that kind of thing. People spent more money than they ever spent online for Christmas this year, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Uh, you, you are fond of saying this, though, that you can't you can't talk to people rationally about those kind of things and expect it to have an impact voting wise. 
And here's here's the tough question. We know that Donald Trump has some cognitive problems. We know that he wasn't a good president to begin with. He he had no command of the issues. He remember he's the guy that's talking about drinking bleach uh, for COVID. Uh, so how or does or okay? Let me do this. If you were the political consultant to Joe Biden, what advice would you give him? about how to deal with Trump and his, you know, not being qualified to be president. How do you, how do you run against Donald Trump if you're the political advisor for the Biden campaign? I would tell him first, Mr. President, this race is not going to be won by over logical appeal to the voters and getting them to rationally sit down and decide that you are a better candidate for them and their family than Donald Trump and present the facts. It ain't going to be won that way. This race is going to be won based on who has the ability to get their supporters to the poll. It's going to be about turnout. And the thing that's going to determine turnout is excitement. You have to get people that may be amenable to your way of thinking you got to get them to do one or two things, or maybe both, to hate your opponent and or to love you. And you must give them a reason to be excited about not waiting to go to the poll to cast a vote against Donald Trump or to cast a vote for Joe Biden. If you can't get them to that level, it's going to affect turnout. And turnout is going to determine this election. You can keep selling these ideas about uh, the difference in gas prices now as opposed to three months ago and the unemployment rate for blacks. And the, you can go down that road all you want to. It's not a winning path, Mr. President. Blacks ain't sitting home waiting. So, oh, I didn't know that the price had went. I'm going to the poll and vote. No, that ain't what makes them go to the poll and vote. You go back and you look at races uh, with Jesse Helms and Harvey Gantt, with Barack Obama and uh, McCain. These people were excited to vote against Jesse Helms. They were excited to vote for Barack Obama. You have got to build that excitement up to engender maximum voter turnout, or you're going to have problems. Yeah, Mr. you're going to. Yeah, you're going to have well, that, good advice. So I'm going to get you the check sitting over from the Biden campaign, because I think that's very sage advice that you just gave. You know, I want to remind you, uh, you're listening to or watching the deal with Ed Clark and Val Atkinson. It's Wednesday, the 24th of January, 2024. We're here on a special edition. Uh, I've been out of pocket. Uh, I'm back in pocket now. So hopefully uh, we can get on track uh, for the year. Um, one of the things that uh, is also very apparent here, Val, we didn't talk about this uh, before, and I, I don't know if we've talked about this over the last few weeks between me and you, but uh, Black folks, getting Black folks interested in a lot of stuff uh, is hard nowadays. Uh, there, there was an interview on Shannon Sharp's podcast, uh, Club Shay Shay or whatever it's called, and Cat Williams was on there, committee, right? And, and then I, I looked at it and then I also looked at the statistics from it. It's, it's the most listened to and viewed podcast in history. 
in, in, in a short amount of time. Nearly every black folk <laughs> in the United States has either watched part of it or seen part of it or whatever. Uh, and I, I'm not going to begrudge anybody for, you know, wanting to be entertained. Uh, but maybe, and I'm being, I'm being half facetious here, maybe Joe Biden needs to get Cat Williams <laughs> to, to, to campaign for him. Uh, because uh, he, here's the reality, Val. More people are going to know what Cat Williams said about pick a comedian, Steve Harvey, or, you know, whoever, Ricky Smiley. They're going to know more about that than the New Hampshire primary that we spent the first segment talking about, right? They're going to know more about that than whether or not Donald Trump has some cognitive decline and whether or not Joe Biden has helped improve the economy. Uh, one thing um, before we move on to the last part of this segment is I do want to talk about uh, Joe Biden has been out. He was here in Raleigh, North Carolina uh, last week, and let's look at a clip, and we'll talk about that, and then we'll move on. At Abbott's Creek Community Center, only lasted about 20 minutes. That wrapped up around 2.30, so what's he been doing the whole time? He's made a couple unannounced stops in North Raleigh on his way back here to RDU. First, I want to show you President Biden making a stop at Cookout, of all places, on Falls of Noose Road. He and the governor, Roy Cooper, ordered milkshakes, an M&M one for the governor and a black and white for the president, which is a vanilla milkshake blended with chocolate syrup. Sounds pretty good, although it's a little cold for that today. You may remember the president actually stopped at a cookout in Durham during a visit here back in 2020. After that snack break, the president headed over to that house at, on Falls of Noose Road, as you mentioned there. Now, our camera's not allowed inside, but we did see that live shot where the president was having a kitchen table conversation, we're told, with the family that lives there, uh, looking at how his agenda has affected their lives. Back out here live, we... So, Val, uh, Joe Biden got a milkshake at Cookout. And if you're if you're from North Carolina, Cookout is a restaurant chain that started in Greensboro, North Carolina. They're famous for their nine bazillion flavors of milkshake. And Governor Cooper took him there. Uh, so, quick question. Uh, do those kind of visits have an impact? Because uh, Biden was here uh, to tout a broadband initiative that they were putting broadband internet service in. Do those kind of visits in a campaign cycle make any difference? Again, you worked on political campaigns. Tell me, uh, was it, it just a milkshake for Joe Biden or, or did it, did, will it help him at all? Uh, it, it, it really won't help, but I understand why political strategists and campaign workers want that to happen. Uh, they're looking up and down the, uh, the whole political spectrum in terms of who represents what. And I'm glad you chose North Carolina to, to make this example of, because here in North Carolina, African-Americans make up 20% of the electorate. So now we got another 80% out there, you know, and I've, I've run some numbers in the past to say, what is the cutoff that Republicans need to reach to make the black vote insignificant. And the number I came up with at that time, I think it was 1996, I'm not sure. The number I came up with at that time was 68%. <clears throat> In other words, 
if 68% of white people in North Carolina vote for candidate A, then the other 32% of white people can vote for candidate B, plus all of the black and brown and yellow and red people that we can find, every one of them. And candidate B cannot win. So the only way that the black vote is viable and meaningful is if the white vote is split to some degree. It's less than 68%. So we need to keep that in mind with everything we do. And there are some elements of the white vote that vote Democratic, that think that candidates go overboard to get the black vote. So we can't run them away. So I thought it was a good idea that they go to rural areas with the broadband idea, okay? That they do that kind of thing and then do something uh, to, to excite the black people. Listen, Democrats have a special problem. They need to keep the white vote tethered to the Democratic Party that they have. They need to do something to show African-Americans that we appreciate your support in the past and we're with you for the long haul. So you need to get everybody out to come out and vote. And sometimes those two approaches are not uh, mutually uh, good for each other. So they've got a, a real big, big, big problem. Uh, Democrat, Republicans have a similar problem, but not as large. They don't have to worry about if we go all out to get the racist white vote, how many black votes are we going to lose? They don't have to worry about that problem because they don't have the white vote, black votes in the, in the first place. But uh, Democrats are trying to be all things to all people. That is a losing strategy. They have a problem. So what they depend upon is the community workers. That's the way it was when I was in the business. The community leaders, you guys go out and you tell Black folks what we are doing. I need to go down uh, on the other side of the Appalachia and get the people in the rural area to come out and let me tell them why you need to vote for us. Okay? So it's a real conundrum that the Democratic Party finds itself in right now. And the Black leadership in, in the Black community needs to understand is that in this case, Joe Biden cannot come off of his horse at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, go down to the black community and do a, a hip hop hug and wear his pants down below his hand and, and, and sing some rap tune and to show that, Hey, I'm, I'm down with you, brother. He can't do that. Right. There's what, it, no way he can do that and expect to not lose some votes on the other side. Right. Your magic number becomes a problem, right? right. You 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 you'll always be in this conundrum that you can't afford to lose any more white vote. You know, right. Val. Uh, uh, here, here uh, uh, we need to take another break, but 
I'm going to set you up for the remainder of the show. We're going to talk about uh, uh, what's going on in the Middle East because I think that's good. that has some impact on some young voters. And then uh, I also want to talk about uh, Donald Trump has been talking about getting rid of Obamacare again. But I want to know the reason why he would bring it up now when more people are on Obamacare than ever before and more, more people are benefiting from it than ever before. Why would he even bring that up right now? So stay right there. We'll be right back after this message. Women are bad with money. That's what the world's been saying for centuries. But now we've got something to say. Save it. It's time to save ourselves by saving our money. Until we're no longer 80% more likely than men to live in poverty in retirement. Save it. The falsehoods, the feelings of fault. Then, the funds. Learn how to save for your retirement at wesaysaveit.org. We're also going to fight to give you much better health care. Obamacare is a catastrophe for all American families. Let's chat about this talking point. Now that Trump is back on the campaign trail, he's promising again to repeal and replace the Affordable Care Act. But that was one of his administration's biggest failures. That failure was a big part of why Republicans lost control of the House of Representatives in the 2018 midterms. His promise comes at a time when Obamacare is even more popular and more widely used. And we still don't know what he'd replace it with. He has yet to reveal an actual plan. And welcome back to our third and final segment of the deal. I'm Ed Clark, that's Val Atkinson. We've been having a lively discussion today about a number of things and uh, we started off talking about the primaries we talked about Trump's cognitive issues yada 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 uh, but I think the meat of this program today Val has been again uh, our white brothers and sisters uh, who I have a real fear about some of them just to tell you the truth and, and leading in coming back in from the break Val we saw Donald Trump again talking about his desire to get rid of Obamacare. I want to start there. Uh, Obamacare, more people are on it than ever before. It's benefited the exact people that it's supposed to, which are people that could not get health care. And guess who that turns out to be? Low and middle class white folk. I mean, that's the vast majority of people who have benefited getting, getting a decent health plan at an affordable price. So, Val, why in the hell would Donald Trump spend his time talking about getting rid of Obamacare? And then if he if he gets back in the office, he proved the first time he couldn't do it. But what is the strategy behind some nonsense talk like that? Donald Trump understands what it's going to take to win this election. And as I said earlier, it's going to take excitement that produces voter turnout, okay? Now, the the reason Donald Trump is taking this position is he's talking to his base. He's convincing his base that, hey, me and you uh, both agree that we ain't got no business having a a healthcare program for the whole country named after uh, uh, a colored man president, you know? We need healthcare, but we don't need one named after him. His base eats that up. I'm going to the poll. Make sure I go to the poll nine vote. He's going to get rid of Obamacare. We can keep the same stuff, but call it something else. I'm going to the polls and vote. 
And Democrats, unfortunately, are thinking about, well, the percentages say that more people are on uh, Obamacare now than it ever has been. People are doing, hey, that don't engender excitement and voter turnout. Democrats don't understand the numbers game. is too many of them that don't understand politics. They don't understand politics at all. And they are getting the president involved in something that is uh, just not going to help him win. It's, it's going to uh, do a lot of things to help a lot of pundits and talking heads and that kind of thing, have stuff to talk about. But it is not going to help the issue of voter turnout. And and that's why Trump does it. You know, that example I just gave, I think, is a very good one, Ed, in terms of Trump appealing to his base, engendering excitement, and getting them to show up to the poll. Mm -hmm. And it seems like the, the Biden strategy on that same thing is to get some little old lady in Iowa that's sitting in front of the TV with a number two pencil on a ledger taking notes to see who, you know, come on. Who, yeah. Who's in this one? Yeah, yeah, and you're absolutely right. And I didn't even talk about Iowa like I uh, planned on it, and, and, and you gave me an opening to talk about it here, is that, in uh, the same for New Hampshire, Val, here's the reality. They're about the two whitest places you could ever be, period, right? They're, they're clearly the, the 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 whitest places you could be, and 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 what we had is uh, a situation where we had all our focus and attention on that for at least two weeks, right? Uh, none of those people that uh, that turned out to either the Iowa caucus or the New Hampshire primary are 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 like me or you because none of that is going to about appealing to me or you. Uh, you you're right. Donald Trump is, has outsmarted everybody. Uh, and he has hit on the issues that will try to drive his base. Mm -hmm. uh, the problem with uh, the Democrats and Joe Biden in particular is that there's nothing to drive the base, right? Uh, or you've already given your free advice to the Biden administration. I hope they listen and take you up on it. But here's here's another monkey wrench in this, Val. Over in the Middle East, there's a little place called Gaza, which is a little bit bigger than White County, North Carolina. It's not even as big as White County. Let me take that back. Uh, but there's two to three million people shoved in there, and a lot of them are getting killed. In addition to that, the uh, Biden administration has launched rocket attacks uh, on Houthi uh, rebels. I don't know what to call them. I, I don't even like using it because they may have a legitimate beef, right? They, they've launched attacks on Houthis <clears throat> and Shias in Iraq and in Yemen because they say they're interfering with trade in the Gulf or whatever, blah, blah, blah. Uh, at the same time, we never attacked the Saudis. 
and the Saudis blew up the World Trade Center. We never attacked the Saudis or had any operation against the Saudis and other Sunnis, but they killed Khashoggi in the embassy, right? And cut him up into pieces. We never did anything about that. Uh, we, we signed a deal with UAE and some of the other states in the Middle East because they said they wanted to try to get along with Israel, but that's besides the point that they had been harboring terrorists, real terrorists that had blown up stuff for years. So Val, now you got some young folks who are mad at the Biden administration over the policy in the Middle East. So what happens there? What 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 happens uh, if you continue to alienate these young voters that? You said we got to get excited about coming to the polls, but they're mad over what's going on in Gaza. Talk to me some about that whole thing and what's going to happen there. Well, that is one of the hot button issues for the Biden administration right now. Uh, there are people out on uh, on the ground are telling them that, hey, you're losing support in the black community. You're losing support amongst your youth voters because of our policy in the Middle East. They don't like what Israel is doing to the Palestinians. They don't like anything about it. And this whole thing did not start on October 7th. It did not start after the Six Day War. It didn't even start back in 1948. You'll have to go back a couple thousand years when everything really, really started and then come on up to the day's date and find all of the problems that were laid in front of us, the decisions we made that we should not have made, and try to see how many we can correct or turn around. But this is a big problem. And African-Americans in particular uh, don't like what's happening in the Middle East because we were born under similar circumstances where one group of people had genocide committed against them so another group of people could be enslaved, that was us, to help a third group of people become the richest people on the planet that the world has ever known. And so we know what it is to be a part of having somebody go and take somebody's land and tell them that you go find someplace else to live. I'm taking this. This is mine. And then when they try to, those people who've been displaced, when they try to take back what is rightfully theirs, they're called terrorists. And black folks and young folks don't like the United States of America's position in the Middle East right now as it pertains to what the Israelis have done or are doing to the Palestinians in Gaza. Uh, as of this recording that we're making today, Ed, the number has uh, exceeded 25,000 that Israelis have killed. It was just over 1,000 that Hamas killed on October 7th. And so we're, you know, payback is something that you've killed 25,000 and you ain't stopped yet. You said, we're just getting started. So what are you going to do? Do the whole 2 million that you mentioned? Yeah. Well, will that be enough? Well, you know, that's that whole question of proportionality, right? Generally, when the Israelis 
retaliate or seek retribution, there are always more Palestinians that end up dead than the original number of Israelis. Uh, But that brings me to another point. So these young people are upset about uh, the policy. Uh, But here's the reality, Val. The policy has been the same whether it's been Republicans or Democrats in office, there's there's no solution to this that we can foster because we always fall back to we support Israel unconditionally, right, wrong, or indifferent, right? Uh, they, they have a prime minister right now, Netanyahu, who's a criminal. He's as bad as Donald Trump, maybe worse. And, and, and uh, But Joe Biden still has to go over there and embrace him because there's there's this whole fear that if they don't come down on the right side, I guess, you know, from corporate interest and people who can, you know, donate money to donor class or whatever, then you have a problem. Well, uh, well you see, Ed, that, that, that's what the young folks in African-Americans are saying. Taking that approach, you've made your decision already. You're saying that the donor class is more important to you than my vote as a young person or as a black person. You're saying I need to get over it. And uh, one one uh, stop or speech that Biden made when he was talking about, uh, I'm going to take another try, a stab at student loans, and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. He, You know, we saw right through that. You're trying to throw us some crumbs so we will stop complaining about Gaza. That's insulting. We're not complaining about Gaza because we got to play student loans. The two don't have anything to do with one another, okay? Let's don't play games with me that way. And the other thing I think that Blacks and young folks are saying is that we are not asking you to solve the problem tomorrow. We're asking you to step in the right direction toward solving the problem. All all Biden's got to do is to say that I'm asking Netanyahu to have a meeting with me next Wednesday here in Washington. And we have to take another look at our appropriations and our money that and that we're giving him vis-a-vis what's going on in Gaza. We support a two-state solution. If you don't, you are against what our long-range plans are. I'll see you next Wednesday. Boy. That's that's all you got to do. And you haven't done a thing. You haven't done a thing. But that message will be one that young folks and black folks will say, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Let Netanyahu know that we mean business. We're giving them $8 billion a year of taxpayer money. And he's telling us not to say anything. Yeah. Yeah. So that's up to Biden. He can just stay silent like he is and talk about the donor class, or he can do something. Yeah. Start start on the right path. Take a step in the right direction. I didn't say accomplish anything, but at least take a step in the right direction. He doesn't know how far that goes. Right. Well, Val, here's the thing before we run out of time, but there's two other issues I want to talk about. One is that there's another continuing resolution uh, that the budget's been kicked down to road again. Uh, that means that uh, Speaker Johnson is in trouble. Uh, we didn't talk about this before uh, we came on the air, but it occurred to me 
that uh, it's the exact same transgression that uh, Mr. McCarthy made, which was to uh, uh, act like he wanted to work with the Democrats. Uh, and, and that's verboten, right? You can't, you can't make a deal with the Democrats at all uh, because you just can't. Uh, you're not allowed to. And, and so what, what, does, uh, what does Mr. McCarthy, I mean, I'm sorry, Mr. Johnson, Speaker Johnson do, so he doesn't end up in the same place as Speaker McCarthy? I personally believe, Ed, that, that Johnson is going to be a little luckier than McCarthy was. Because when it's all said and done, I think they're going to be smarter heads in the Republican Party that says, hey, we can't go through another McCarthy-Johnson kind of thing, okay? We don't have the time to do it. We're going to shut the government down. Irreparable harm done to the economy. This is the election year of 2024. People aren't dumb anymore. They're going to blame us for this. Look, let let just hands off Johnson for this one. We'll 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 wait and we'll get him later on. Uh, I I don't think they are ready for another McCarthy Johnson kind of twist right now. That's just my opinion. Yeah. So uh, so uh, Johnson survives because I think they're down to uh, the slimmest majority that anybody's ever had, probably right. in modern history. And the Republicans can't afford to lose another person, and any more infighting is going to uh, really do them in. I, I I think this is probably the most ineffective Congress in the history of Congress, too. I mean, they haven't been able to do anything meaningful uh, during during any of the sessions here. Uh, the last story that I wanted to talk to you about is that COVID is back. Uh, I, I told you I've been traveling for the last couple of weeks, and everywhere I've been in D.C. and in Cincinnati and uh all throughout southern ohio where i was there uh dude covid was bad uh in both places in dc and in uh and in ohio and uh even in some foreign countries a friend of mine he lost his mother-in-law uh the other night in panama uh because there seems to be a spike in covid cases there val uh did we not learn anything from the pandemic i mean are we doomed to uh, 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 just, you know, just, just being the thing that takes people out every uh, fall and winter? Uh, are we ever going to come to some sort of sort of stasis where we can talk rationally about this and, and people get vaccinated and so on and so forth? Or, or are we still living under the legacy of uh, Trump denialism? Uh, over whether or not people should be vaccinated. Well, I think you still have those people who uh, really uh, are living two, three, four centuries ago. You know, they're still in that kind of mindset and uh, believe in a lot of superstitions and that sort of thing. But I think overall, uh, I, I think that we as a people, African-Americans, uh, have have done well in terms of our history, our culture, the way we normally approach things of this nature and people saying it's bad for you and they're trying to sneak something into our veins and control our mind, thought, and all this other stuff. That's, you know, even with all of that, we find a lot of African-Americans 
have taken every shot, every booster, every time it's available. And and I like that. Uh, you and I are two who've done that, I'm sure. And I know quite a few others who've done that. So I say to my fellow brethren, if you believe in those things, keep taking the shot as you get an opportunity to tell others to do so, but be mindful that you can't make them do it. And if they decide to still think that somebody's trying to do some mind control stuff on them, leave them be with their thoughts and you go talk to somebody else. Yeah. You know what, Val, when people think that 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 the government wants to get into their mind and all this other stuff, I I, 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 I chuckle to myself because most people don't have that much interest in going on in their lives to be controlled by the government. Now, now corporate interests want to control you, but they want to control you for money. They want you to buy stuff from them, right? And, and that's really where we are being influenced. Uh, and, and at some point during the year, we're going to talk about AI and all this other stuff. But but uh, the government, I just did air quotes for the people listening. The government is you. And, and 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 if you think that there's this you know group of people sitting in a room somewhere who wants to spy on you, you're not that interesting. I can tell you that. There's there's there, you don't have any money of any significance, but a lot of you have a little bit of money, so they take that away from you by getting you to only be interested, say, in reality TV, so they can charge more ad revenue. Or to, to join TikTok and watch stupid TikTok videos so they can charge ad revenue. See, that's what you don't get. Uh, it, it's not that they want to put a chip in you, because what good would that do? Most of you are not that bright, including me, right? I'm not the smartest person. Where, what knowledge would I have <laughs> that could help the government do anything? So uh, I'll leave that there. Because I could go on and on because you don't want me to talk about, I can talk about, you know, people who are too far into evangelical religion, thinking that, you know, they need to take a particular position. But I won't because, you know what, we're running out of time. So that means I got to ask you, Val, what are you working on? Anything we need to know uh, before next time we're on? Well, the, the thing that I'm working on right now, I'm still coaching uh, basketball. I've gotten too old to play. I can't do my, can't coordinate my 360 slam dunk anymore. So I'll have to do the coaching instead of doing the playing. But uh, now I'm having a lot of fun with these kids. Um, it gets to a point that you love to see them mature as the season goes along. Uh, and because we know this ain't just for the game, it's the maturation process for life. And I'm getting a real big kick out of that. And uh, just can't wait till next year starts because I'm at the end of this year. So well, basketball is my life right now. Well, good. Uh, you know what, Val, you inspired me. I went back and got my coaching certification for track and field. I'm going to be helping out some kids down in Fuquay uh, mm-hmm. with some track and field. And then I also got my rugby certification, coaching certification renewed. So I'm going to be doing some volunteering around that too because – uh, my life has changed a little bit. I'll tell people about that at some point. But my life has changed a little bit, and I got a little more time in the evenings now. So <laughs> I, I plan to use that time to try to help some folks out. You know what, Val? I hear some music in the background. That means we got to go. Uh, that means uh, 
I need for you to go tell people about the deal with edclark.com. I need for you to uh, listen to uh, Connections on Foxy 107-104 with me and Sherelle James or uh, try to find stuff that I'm writing and working on some other projects. So I've got a lot of exciting stuff coming up in the in the rest of the year. In the meantime, guess what? I always ask you to go and do something good for somebody today, and I really do mean that. And come back and join us next time for another edition of The Deal with Ed Clark and Val Atkinson. Have a good day. Bye.